Hi, I'm Jensen Bueller. And I'm Quentin Molson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. It's still better than two guys talking about golf. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Still? Still. Still better? It's yeah, still sure. better. What are you going to do? You can't change the channel. You <laughs> might listen to someone talking about golf. Yeah. Golf. I don't know about you. Like Golf for me is the epitome. It's not even a sport. It's a game. How, yeah. How's your golf game doing? Yeah, sure. It's just grown men walking around in the park, occasionally doing physical activity, and we pay them like hundreds of millions of dollars to do that. I think it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of skill. You know know what else takes a lot of skill? What? Chess. Checkers. Yeah. Other Um, games. Yeah. But I also consider baseball, basketball, football games. Just games. A lot of people are like, well, you can get killed in football. No, I don't don't think that's fair. I think those those are legitimate. I don't know. If if football's not a sport, then I don't really don't know what it is. Hmm. And don't give me that bullshit Ernest Hemingway thing. Hmm. I don't know. I think they're all games, kicking balls and tossing sticks and whatnot. Yeah. Soccer, even hockey. But hockey's probably the most hardcore of all of them. Where that to me seems sport-ish. But yeah, I guess you'd have to go down a list. Well, you can you can make, right? if you're gonna do that, then even like motorcycle racing is just people who are really bad at commuting and <laughs> no yeah i don't you know because they're just they're just going in circles they don't they don't get anywhere uh the definition generally was like how much danger is involved right so it, really yeah i don't know about that okay i disagree i don't think i don't think this is what the show's about though no it's not uh we want to talk about a few things today um one of them was the we want to talk about lane splitting Mm-hmm. We also wanted to talk about the Harley Davidson flat track racer. Yep. And there was something else, and I'm hoping you're going to remind me. TT. The TT. A little bit, yeah. So we literally just edited out like three minutes of silence. We want to talk about the Isle of Man TT, because by the time this episode gets out, we should be getting pretty close towards the end of the Isle of Man TT, which is an awesome event. Hopefully, we don't really get Velocities covering it this year, and it's really just them rebroadcasting ITV4's really good production. It's like a nightly production. Like, they don't quite recap the day's events. It's kind of like the day before, then sometimes like the day before that. But they do a really good job. It's just, it's hard because they're- It's tough to cover that race. It's, man, a 37-mile course. They haven't really quite figured out how to get, like, on board- live streaming footage so it's all like they go out they do the lap with like a gopro basically and then they come back and they downloaded it into the uh the little video van that's in the the paddock and they spend all night working on it but it's hard like what's really holding the tt back like they need a good live streaming video tv package same as pike's peak pike's peak is just going to go away i just i don't see the future of that that race at but all. if it had a a good TV package. Oh, that sure. Every person that was going up got the, they got the helicopter and right. But you see, that's the thing. Like Pike's Peak is so far away from like 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 here here's here's my approach from it, and it's always interesting because the TT and Pike's Peak are one right after the other, and they're like the most analogous things to each other. At least Pike's Peak, like the most analogous thing we have in the in the U.S. to the TT. Pike's Peak, like I don't even think the race officials know 100% what's going on over the entirety of the course. There are so many gaps on the course where they just don't have a clue. Sure. I agree with it's that. It's like, oh, did the bike go through engineers yet? Nope. Okay. And then it's somewhere in this like a mile stretch of the course. Yeah. So if we're missing a rider, he's in there somewhere. Yeah. And then it's like, maybe the helicopter can see him and maybe it can't. And whereas like the TT, forget the number. I want to say it's like 700, 800, 900 marshals volunteer. Wow. They have eyes, eyes to eyes, eyes to eyes. They have eyes on the entirety of that 37 mile course they have mm. oh, there we go they have line of sight between the marshals pretty much there's a couple spots where they don't but like we're talking turn or exactly yeah, like so 100 you feet yeah. you're gonna know what's going on and and you know it's just night and day difference in, in organizational skill it's but, also another well no i guess it's, i was gonna say it's a century different but I think the no. Pikes Peak Hill Climbs is still as the TT. So this is the 97th running, I believe, of the TT, 97th, 98th. It's been going for almost 109, 110 years, but they took some breaks, especially because of World War II. Um, I think this is the 97th running of this current course. Hmm. I think that's where it's in my head. Someone's, someone's on Wikipedia right now fact-checking me, so yep. thank you. And I'm trying to think how long Pikes Peak, but they're they're very... 
similar in age. Um, but completely different in but that. But completely different in the way they, the dirt, they operate. The, it was mostly a dirt thing. Go a hill climb. It's a different. And it's a car. The Pikes Peak is very much a car race that motorcycles happen to show up to. And they tolerate us, you know, for, the, for the hour or so that we take up the course. Sure. Um, I think the TT, I think the TT's biggest problem is that it's, it's like part of what's really cool is it's kind of antiquated. But that's also like its biggest detriment because it's like, you know, you need to get your TV package figured out. Like in the digital media realm, like for for live timing, for live video, for live streaming, like literally like me as an American sitting here in the US, my only options for live information during the race are is the live timing screen, which only has timing checkpoints at like five, six points on the track <laughs> 37 a, miles 37 almost 38 to, mile course you have to wait a few minutes yeah and then, oh he passed it yeah and then you've got the guys in the radio booth who are on manx radio who are watching the same damn screen as, as, as i am and they usually have like a guy out in ramsey and then maybe at another spot in the course so you have like three spots on the course where you actually have someone who can do any sort of reporting and you're just like man it's so in the world of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff, it's immediate so gratification, behind the immediate curve. Immediate communication. Yeah. This is not it. No, it's but not. But maybe that's part of what's endearing about it. It just won't grow it. Well, I think it's that's kind of rustic. I think that's a big thing. Like they, they want to grow it and they wanted they, cause they wanted to do like a world series. They wanted to have like the Island man TT, you know, in the U S and in Australia. And I don't know how they're going to brand it, but they wanted it to be like kind of like a world series kind of thing where the TT at the Isle of man is like the, the, the grand finale the hub and yeah. then everything else is a road race on right. roads which is kind of how road racing is but that's very much an irish northern irish yeah sure thing and then of course there's macau which is a cool little race but also super dangerous so i don't know i, I really they need to figure it out like they really need a technology partner to come in they really need to figure out like even if it just means because one of the biggest issues for for live streaming is is the signal sure you can even see it when you watch a motor gp race like uh, I remember talking to the in-front media guys who used to do World Superbike. Yeah. And, like, they show up a week before a race and, and put little, like, I don't think it's Wi-Fi, but they put up... Transponders of trans- some sort? Yeah, some to, to relay the video, yeah. the onboard video back. And they need to do the same thing for the TT. And I don't know if that's how feasible that is, but considering how much of that country's uh, economy is based on that race and the, and the influx of people that come in for it, like, I'm sure they can make a a capital expenditure or, you know, like broadband cell phone signals. LTE is so fast right now. Like I'm sure like a a comprehensive cellular network could really do something for them as far as transmitting video back to a hub and doing it live. And I don't know, they need someone to come in and do it because they're just asses to elbows on it right now. Well, one of the first times I ever saw the TT would have been in the early nineties and it would have been late night. I have no idea. My guess is that it was Speed Vision. So before Speed Channel was Speed Vision. And I would watch whatever dirt bike racing at the time. Couldn't couldn't tell you who was racing. I would just it would just be on, especially late at night. Like if I would come home midnight as I was a kid, basically, uh, in high school, probably had a curfew, come home and then there'd be racing on. I'd I'd eat my McDonald's or Taco Bell and watch this, but I remember very vividly a camera, a, a helicopter shot through the mountain section where the the rider was going through the clouds. Yeah, and it was one of the coolest fucking things I'd ever seen. And even to this day, I probably just need to find footage because I'm sure it exists of just whoever it was hauling ass, and you'd see him going in and out of clouds and the sea of green, and that was so amazing to me. And that that was one of the that was a very seminal moment in my motorcycling like i don't i don't even know if at that stage i had ridden a motorcycle i can't i don't i'm not sure it was it was that long ago or it was back when before i started riding and i wasn't even a motorcycle fan or i had just started riding and it was like oh my god what how does that work so if it was able to get to me as an enthusiast at that time like how how difficult is it to come together with a a f- not a, on board all the time, but a really good um, synopsis of what has happened through the through the race or through the weekend or through the through the fortnight, right? I'm- well, that's the thing. Like ITV4, I feel like does a really good job. So I should back that up a little bit. So, so I've been to the TT twice. So I've gotten to witness what like a 
a typical day would be for a race fan at the TT. And it works out pretty well because you get up, you don't have to get up that early, thank God. They close the roads down, you get out to your spot, you spend, you know, six, eight hours. It depends what the day is and depends how many delays there are. But, you, you know, you basically are stuck wherever you go because the roads close. And you watch the bikes go by. And by the time you get home, you have a bite to eat. You're probably doing a homestay. So you're like hanging out with other people. It's like a bed and breakfast kind of thing. So like, oh, I was at Ramsey. What'd you see? Well, you know, I was at Craig Naba and this is what I saw. And I was down the grandstand and I talked to this guy and you can swap stories over dinner. And then like 10 o'clock ITV4 comes on and they do a pretty good synopsis video. It's probably not that day's video. I'm trying to remember. If, I don't think it's the same day. I don't think, I don't think there was a single instance where we had the same day, but I could be wrong. But then you watch the ITV4 coverage and it's like it kind of like puts all the stories and everything you saw yeah, like sure. together into a package. And it's really well done. It's great TV production, but it's just it's happening hours after the fact. And it kind of works in the sense if you're, you know, British or Manx or, or someone on the Isle of Man watching the race because it fits that format of like I was at the TT and this is kind of like piecing together my day for me. But I think for the TT to hit that next level of like international audience, like MotoGP is where I can watch a MotoGP race. So MotoGP's in Barcelona this week. It's in Catalonia. I can sit in my home here in Portland and watch the race live just as if I was there. And why can't I do that with the, with the TT? And it's like, it's just, there's just, there's something holding them back there, yeah. I feel. Yeah. And it's not that the the quality isn't good. And that's the thing, like, like you were saying, the spectacle is fantastic. And the Isle of Man itself is this beautiful little, like, fairy tale island it's green it's lush it's the people are super friendly there's the water and it's in the uh it's in the irish sea i know they have cute little kitty cats that don't have tails that that makes me Ma happy makes cats are super cute yeah oh, you, right? you get into it you should go sometimes i know uh, i've been wanting to go for decades we'll, we'll make a trip me. out of it um i mean by the time the by the time the tt rolls around next year like this podcast will just have totally blown up and yeah yeah, yeah. they'll that'll, probably fly us out it'll fund it it'll fund the whole thing sure just no problem Yep. Click the ads. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Click keep, the ads. Keep clicking the ads and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Yep. Follow us on Instagram. No one's following us on Instagram. Oh, that's because I'm not managing it. Uh, I put the man and manage and I need to do it. And I don't, I don't know how to do that with my BlackBerry phone. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even know BlackBerry still made phones. <laughs> no, right. It's adorable. <laughs> I know. It's so cute. What are we not as about? cute as a little Minx kitten though without a tail. Minx kittens are cute. They have big asses though. Yeah, haunches. Would yeah. you call that haunches? That's no. a haunch for Well, yeah. No? Yeah. Pantalones. We call Astoria, our cat, our main coon cat, has pantalones. Little, kind of like at the, her hindquarters have so much fluff. Have you seen my cat? Yeah. It's all fluff. That's right. I forgot. You, we both fatty. have. We have cats with pantalones. Coda Kitty. She is. She's getting a little chubby. She's solid. She's big bone. She's really not solid. When you pick her up, she's not solid. It's just like mush. Big bone. Yeah. Anyways. You're going to give her a complex. Isle of Man TT. Um, yep. 2017. 2017. We'll be there. <laughs> Dare to dream. But yeah, you know, I, it, it's it's one of those things like I think it would go a long way to have something like that because I think it going and seeing it in person, it definitely gets you hooked. And I think with the right media package and the right presentation, it could easily get people excited about it. And maybe that's the stepping stone because like this deal with ITV4 providing its feed for channels like Velocity in the US and other channels across the world. You know, maybe that's that's the step to get people like, oh, you know, not everyone gets Velocity, but the ones that do, they can watch them and say like, hey, that's really cool. That's a really cool race. I'm going to get excited about it. I'm going to follow that more closely next year because that's pretty cool. So maybe that's something we can get get to, but um, I don't know. But they got other things cool going on, like uh, Bruce Anstey is racing the Honda RC213VS, a bike that still needs a better name. But and very sounds wicked. Very the, cool to see. The videos yeah. that I've seen of it. Uh, I think I posted a couple on the Facebook page on the two enthusiasts one was the running on the dyno. It was kind of like the what's your appetite and then the wicked one of him just cruising through and I whatever the jump one of the jumps if they're it's probably ball off bridge possibly but it's cool because it's a, a uh, from the back uh, so, you know so the the jump is as he's going away, which normally you see. Oh, I know what you're talking about. No, that's, yeah, that's not below. That's. It's not that much of a jump. No, right? it's a little, well, that's, that's the thing with the course. Like they're going so damn fast. Every little change in elevation, every little bump yeah. is a wheelie or a jump. Sure. But this is a legit wheels off oh, the yeah. ground. Oh, and yeah. it is awesome because the sound is good. And then, right. Yeah. And then there's one point where he's, he's at a, a very sharp corner and he's talking with a marshal and he pulls away. So a quick video of that. 
which is interesting. Somebody made mention it sounded horrible pulling away like it wasn't ready. It's like, well, that bike probably has a close ratio gearbox and first gear probably does 120 miles an hour so that it's going to be tough to you know what i mean it's it does it's not going to pull away like street fascinating looking machine beautiful proper uh hopefully he does well and then he has a magnificent beard and he's kind of this weird beard's intense grizzly but but happy looking gnome maybe like a happy (laughs) Well, like a happy New, New Zealand, Zealander don't, gnome yeah, I don't thing. Think, do, do, does New Zealand have gnomes? They I got kinda, sheep. They got a lot of sheep. He's, he's treading into sheep territory. That's what's going on. Mm, you think he's trying to kind of blend in? You know, like, I don't put anything <laughs> past Kiwis. You know, I got a lot of I got a lot of friends in New Zealand, and they are weird ducks, man. Yeah, well, we got to watch out the ones that wear the, the rubber boots, the wellies. You know why? No. <laughs> but you're going to tell me. Yeah, they, they uh, will put the, the, the back legs of the sheep inside the wellies. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> so it makes for easier copulating. <laughs> With the sheep? Yes. Oh, this is a sheep fucking joke. <laughs> oh, good. Send your comments to two enthusiasts <laughs> at asphaltrubber.com. I think that's actually Welsh. I, I think I'm getting it wrong. It's something like that, right? But let's be fair. Like, even if it was Welsh, I'm sure they do it in New Zealand, too. Yeah, right. Sure. It's like six six or seven sheep per person. <laughs> really? Yeah. Beautiful country, though. Beautiful oh, country. Yeah, totally. Southern Ireland? Oh, my God. We should put a MotoGP race there just to give people an excuse to go visit. I want to go. Velcro mitts as well helps out. Ah, you're still going on that, huh? <laughs> Jeez. So I'm looking for a new co-host. <laughs> Preferably one that doesn't make sheep jokes and cat puns. <laughs> uh, nuts. Why? What? Why'd you say nuts? You. You. You just. Oh, I yeah. thought you had. The, you looked down at the recorder, like. Oh yeah, no, the recorder is totally on like one battery thing. We're gonna totally have to do that all over again. Oh, okay. All right. But hope maybe we'll get through the show. You never know. All right. Well, that's why I thought the nuts were for. So, um, so he's on that. There's also a suitor two-stroke. The suitor, and I forget who's racing that. Ian Lawfer. And how is he? He's, I don't think he's doing well, that well thus far. I mean, like, one of my one of my colleagues. I, I can't remember if it was if it was Simon Patterson or Ollie or Ollie Rushby, but they made the joke like if if Ian Lawfer like gets a top five or even like a top ten finish, it's because like he's going too fast. Mm. He's 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 an he's an older gentleman. Oh, I, is I, he? I shouldn't say older, but he is a very veteran racer ah. who is probably past his prime. You say that, and a lot of people say that about John McGinnis. Well, that's the thing. So that guy. This is what's really. In- this is the thing I really like about the TT and road racing because it's it's not so much a physical thing; it's a mental thing for starters. Going faster on the course, it's getting your mind one to focus and two to, you know, hit your marks and all that stuff. And it's road knowledge. It's knowing that, like, hey, this turn I can take at 165 yeah. miles an hour, but 166, I'm going to be into the curb, and 164, I'm going to hit that bump. And like you'll talk to the TT racers and they'll be like, oh yeah, there's a little bump here that you have to avoid. Or there's this little thing here. And like, if you watch some of the video, like there's spots where like Michael Dunlop, like he literally uses the curb to like to the sidewalk when he comes around a corner to straighten the wheels out again. And you're like, come on. Like, first of all, you got to be a fucking nutter to do that. Second of all, you have to really like know the course to feel comfortable with things like uh-huh. that. And Using a curb as a berm. Right. Yeah. And and John McGinnis has got more time around that track than than anyone else. What about Ian Lawfer? Well, I mean, yeah, but it, you know, maybe not quality time. Fast is fast. Yeah, you know that there's a reason John McGinnis has 23 TT wins to his name at the time of this recording. I'm sure. I'm very very sure he'll get to 24, maybe 25 or more. Uh, this this fortnight. Dunlop's looking really good though. Dunlop's always looking really good. He he made the mistake of signing up with Yamaha last season, and it was a disaster. And then he jump ship and it totally ruined his his tt Fortnite. but this year he's back on the bmw superbike which he dominated on in 2014 he's got his uh r6 for the super sport like he's legitimately in the hunt i i, I mean he could sweep it for all we know but sure at the same time like ian hutchinson looking really good and itv4 just did a great documentary on him and i'll have to share it with you I'd after love the to show see that. Yeah. yeah 
it's it's really good because his story is so cool for like so like for people that don't know and i'm gonna totally screw up the years because they all kind of wash together and and because the tt only comes once a year it's hard to remember sometimes but the basic story is he went and won in a single year all five of what they call the solo classes so that's both super sport races super stock the super bike and the senior tt and i don't know why they didn't include the electric in that because it's a solo class too but they don't but he won all five and no one had ever done that before and that's that's really hard to do i mean just winning one one race is hard to do just ask guy martin about it mm-hmm. um so he goes and he was not racing this year he was not racing this year and probably never will and you know there's a lot to be said about guy martin but that's a whole nother podcast but ian hutchinson so he goes and does this great thing and then he goes because he was doing some racing in bsb and he has this like horrific crash on a on a track race on, on a, a track race on like a, normal circuit closed circuit race and british superbike breaks his leg in some weird way or yeah something. i think it was at the start and he literally just got his leg run over and it got shattered. I mean, they normal person, they would take that, that stupid leg right Lop off. Lop it off. Yeah. And he had huge, like an, an a testament to that. Like he had so many issues getting it healed again. It took him like 18 months or something like that. Just this huge process of, of getting it healed. And then he finally gets it there and then he breaks it again, partially because it wasn't healing very well. Mm-hmm. And it's this huge, huge thing. And even when he came back, so now he rides the bike with the shifter on the right hand side and the brake is on the left because he, he has, he has foot drop. <laughs> Can you imagine? I have photos of this. If you go on, if you go on asphalt and rubber, yeah. I think it was 2013. He's on the yellow swan bike. Cause I, I did a bunch of photos. So this yeah. is a pretty trick setup on how they routed the shifter and everything sure. through. Very clever. But he wasn't he wasn't the same and the bike wasn't as good and it just took him it took him a long time to get a package underneath him and it wasn't until Paul Berg came along with the Kawasaki team that he kind of got his stuff back together and uh flipped him to the bird. Uh no, no, he 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 didn't although it's funny he went from Swan Yamaha to <laughs> Paul Bird Kawasaki. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's yeah. a little thing there. Hmm. Put a bird on it. But it's just been it's been this story and now, you know, last year he won uh three three races. Yeah. He's kind of a young-looking lad, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's younger. I mean, on, on, he's about the same age as Michael Dunlop, I think. Sure, he's, sure, but he has kind of a fresh face. He's got face. a baby face. Yeah, and he's very I mean. soft-spoken. Yeah. Comes across as a very cool person, not a... Like Michael Dunlop, let's let's call him rough and tumble. Rough like, and tumble is a good word, yeah. Like I'd yeah, say yeah, he's yeah. rough he's and a little tumble. ruffled tumble. Whereas Ian is just kind of a, like a... A bloke, a proper bloke. Well, right? that's the thing. Like, that's the thing I like about the TT. Like, even John McGinnis, like my first year at the TT, I went to interview John McGinnis and like, he had zero time for me. Like, he was like, uh, I need to get the hell out of here. I'm trying to get home. Why, why are you, why are you interviewing me now? But he was super cool about it. Made me a hot dog while I was talking to him. Cause he was sitting there like grilling on his little. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about this before. Yeah. I know we have. Yeah. It's rad. But it's like, such like, a great story. But like, he's like one of the biggest stars in this, in the race right now. And that's the level you interact with him at. Like the only one, like, and I was kind of alluding to it before. The only one that's like kind of a pain in the ass is Guy Martin, just cause he's such a fucking flake sometimes. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's a wonderful personality, but like that personality does not breed a good sure. like, PR person. Like if you can chill with him over a cup of tea and he's, he's into it, like that's probably a really cool conversation. But if you're a fan, like just trying to get an autograph and like see him in the paddock, it can be really difficult. But yeah, I would but say not in the same way as as Casey Stoner. It's a different type of weird. Yeah, like I think he's just he's to himself kind of guy. He doesn't really want the attention. Kind of. I think sometimes I think they're similar in the sense that like they just want to ride motorbikes and they don't really want the press that comes along with yeah. it. Like yeah. both of them didn't really like doing media obligations and both of them didn't really like having to do autograph sessions and. All the extraneous stuff that comes with racing at a professional level. But at the same time, when I say he doesn't want the attention, that's complete bullshit. That's the he exact has all reason these, he's there. He sure. has all these TV shows and does all this oh, stuff. And absolutely. Yeah, sure. And he'll try and pretend he's like, oh, I'm just a truck mechanic. Well, you showed up in your, you know, Aston Martin. So yeah, not too many truck mechanics doing that. Um, but still an interesting personality. Still, still a, another dynamic to that sport. But, but the thing I like the most about the TT is you go into the paddock and like, you totally can have a conversation with the riders. You can totally, the paddock's open, the paddock's free. You can stand by the, the little pit tents that they, they create and you can talk to mechanic while he's working. A rider can come out with his little cup of tea and be like, Oh, you know, I was just talking to Jensen over here. He was saying he's from America. Oh, you're from America. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I've never been to California. What's that like? Yeah. You know, like what's right in accessibility uh, mainly because it's so difficult to get there, right? It it takes effort, even for the people in the uh, in England, 
to make yeah, you the gotta effort. take a ferry or a flight. Yeah. Sure, but it's still a thing. It's not like just going down to Brands Hatch or for us going down to Laguna Seca or whatever it is. It's an event that is world renowned, and you have to make a concentrated effort to get there. So it's just concentrated enthusiasts. It's concentrated enthusiasts, but also I think like, and this kind of comes back to like how it's kind of an antiquated thing where like, I mean, most of these guys have regular jobs. Like that's like the joke. Like I'm trying to think. Is it Cameron Donald? They joke about he's the fastest plumber in the world because he goes back and he's a plumber nine yeah. months out of the year or whatever. Um, you know, outside of John McGinnis and maybe Guy Martin, I think Ian Hutchinson's managed to scrape together a full a full time gig as a professional motorcycle racer. But like some of these guys, like like this is not their full time job. This is this is something that they go to work for. Uh, you know, eight, nine, ten months out of the year to afford to be able to come race here and do this, or this is just something on the side that they do, and they've got other businesses that they're they're involved with. Like there's so there is an element of like they haven't gotten full of themselves, they haven't gotten the media obligations haven't gotten so demanding that they've gotten turned off to it. Like yeah, it is just like it's like probably you know it's like when we meet a fan from the show, it's like oh you you you're into two enthusiast podcasts, I want I want to talk to you like. Oh, you came to the TT and you know who I am and you sat on a hedgerow for eight hours in the sun to watch me race. Oh, oh that's cool. Absolutely. I'll give you some time. Yeah, you sure. know, that's an awesome thing. That's what I mean. That's it's a, of note that they're there. So you might as well cater to it. Yeah. Fair enough. Right. I really, I, I wish, I wish in some ways like other racing events could, could take some of that formula. I don't know how much of it travels across, you know, from, from the TT to BSB to Moto America to MotoGP. Like if it, it's really in. Have you, when was the last time you were at a an AMA when it was AMA or Moto America race? Uh, that wasn't a in conjunction with like MotoGP yeah, or something. Yeah, like a standalone. Uh, the the Sears Point rounds when it was still going there. Did you ever try and get into one of the garages, or did you ever? Were you at the stage where you were interviewing riders, or for those, I was never there to cover that AMA event. Yeah. I was always doing something else like the electrics or something like that. Yeah, sure. Because um, I feel that that paddock was pretty approachable. It's pretty approachable. Yeah. I mean, I definitely way more approachable than, than MotoGP, but even World Superbike is way more approachable than MotoGP. Yeah, sure. Um, they're all different. They're all different shades of gray. It depends on where also how the, how it's sorted, like where the pits are and who's allowed in. in the AMA race, you buy a ticket to the race. You're there. The pits are always open. There was never any cordoned off area. Um, and so people would, you know, when I was a mechanic, it was very easy. People would all often come and just chat with us. They wanted to know what was going on, what's good, what the, what, what are we doing? Why are those tires siped? Why are the grips this way? Or what are you doing to that? And that was always kind of a neat thing because there was an interaction and it, and it kind of ingratiated the, people that were just fans to the to us and vice versa and I, I liked that quite a bit um whereas you go to world superbike it's a little bit more difficult but not much no and then yeah. moto gp was you know all bets are off you know when he gets around it and it's kind of aloof that's my probably my biggest complaint with moto gp to be honest that being said we wanted to talk about the new harley davidson flat track bike to, yeah, to, seg to, talk to about, segue yeah to talk about an easy access pit Right. Right. So go to any flat track race and it's literally down and dirty. They are working on their bikes in the dirt, in the infield of normally some horse track or whatever. And it is awesome because you just get it. I went, the last time I, I was at a flat track race was uh, the Sacramento Mile last year, which was almost exactly a year ago. And it was so cool to see everybody just chatting away. And there's, at the time, it was Troy Bayless was racing the Ducati. And there, there's a dude, a multi-time world champion, the last man to race and win a 990cc uh, MotoGP race back when it was the 990 era. And he's right there. You can chat with him. And he would chat, and it was right there. It was amazing. But I feel like that's very much a Troy Bayless thing. Yeah, no, no doubt. Not so but much a flat It was cool thing. that he was in it. But I think All you're right. right. Like, I look at... I'm. I'm going to go on the record right now and say, actually, I think in five years, like flat track racing is going to be dramatically a bigger deal in the U.S. Well, it is now. because Michael Locke. Uh, and that's why. That's is, why. Is going to make it so, sure. I, got, I have a lot of faith in Michael Locke and his abilities to promote what is already a really good sport yeah. and a really good format as far as like approaching yep. it for fans, approaching it for TV, 
like you, you buy a seat, you can get the cheapest seat in the house and you'll still be able to see the entire race from start to finish. Cause it's in an oval right in front of you. Unless you're at like Peoria or something, but even still, even then, man, it's pretty even easy. Then, yeah. It's very accessible. It's very approachable from a fan standpoint or, and you know, the racers are very approachable. The paddocks very, the pit, it's all, it's got a lot of the elements that make like supercross really a good family event sort of sure. thing. And that's why supercross is so popular. It's got a, a lot of the same trappings of NASCAR, NASCAR straight up too. Yeah. yeah. You know, say what you will be a hater, but at the end of the day, like from a fan point of view, NASCAR is extremely approachable and NASCAR was smart in the sense that like they can dictate to the uh, drivers, you know, their media obligations. Like, nope, you're going to do signing autographs from, you know, 10 o'clock until 11 o'clock. That's, that's a part of your contract. You don't show up. We're going to find you, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Which is something Dorna does not have over the GP riders. <laughs> no. Uh, to their detriment. Well, the flat track's easy access. Flat track's easy to, they're, they're usually easy to get to in general because the, the tracks are, like I said, horse tracks or, uh, dirt tracks that are close to m- metropolitan areas. There's a few like old school tracks that are, you know, Springfield, Illinois isn't exactly easy to get to, but it's not that far from Chicago, right? So what? there's a few other major the tracks that might be a little bit off the beaten path, but still it's, it's, if, if he, if Michael can get it together, which he will, um, he'll get to some of the regions that have not had racing and, and try and bring it in. And I think that's what's being worked on right now. And the X Games, right? So right, right now... X Games thing is huge. X yeah. Games is, is flat track racing. Right? But I think, I think honestly, I think that's Harley-Davidson paying for yeah. a lot of that. Yeah, totally. Uh, but that's the other part of it. Like, it's the, one, it's the one sport where we see our largest... One of the largest motorcycle manufacturers in the world and the largest motorcycle manufacturer in the U.S. actually involved with. Yeah. They're actually touching it. They're actually engaged with it. And that's kind of where the story I wanted to get to was, so the Harley Davidson finally came out with its first flat track, purpose-built flat track race bike in, I think, 44 years. Yeah. It's the XG750R, which is, it's the same uh, street 750 motor, obviously tuned for for racing. But The water-cooled engine that they came out with, what, a couple of years ago? Yeah, which was a bit of a disaster, to be honest. Um, I don't think that bike was very highly rated by by people but on the flip side like you know, what what harley davidson bike really is to be honest like you know <laughs> it's a design that hasn't really changed well the ones that sell for them right, right? and if those... well, that's the thing like a bike if, if one of their bikes only sells like ten thousand units a year that's a failure yeah whereas like i think pretty much any of the other big oems would be like oh yeah my uh whatever model sold ten thousand units in the u.s that was a good one nice nicely done Sure. High fives across the the boardroom. Sure. Some some manufacturers, it's not it's all, all models. Yeah. Ten thousand. If Ducati sold ten thousand units in a year, which they've done a couple of times, but that's in a the, big deal. In the US. In the US, right. Yeah, yeah. So this this bike is a the the, the last bike, the XR seven fifty, it had a couple of basic permutations, but generally it was a push rod, seven fifty CC. Air cooled. Air cooled. There was really I mean you can't get it was rudimentary but horribly effective like that's the thing i like about flat track racing too sorry to interrupt you but what i like about flat track is it's more about the rider like i'm I, i'm not going to say that there isn't advantages to having like a factory backed harley davidson versus like you know the harley davidson you kind of built yourself as a racer but you can make up that delta a whole lot more in that kind of racing than you can say in in, in road racing but you still have to have a pretty sharply tuned bike. Sure. I'm not saying, and, I mean, I'm not saying like you can't just show up with some piece of junk and no, expect sure, it to win. Yeah, sure. I get it. But, but it at least is one of those things where like, it kind of takes the the money effect out of it. It's like, you know, if you really want to throw like hundred thousand dollars into building that bike, you can, but like a $20,000 bike or a $30,000 bike could be just as competitive yeah. with the right rider. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, so what happened was, Harley dominated for so long, and every once in a while you'd get a newcomer uh, come in and, and play in Yamaha for a bit in the 70s, both with two and four stroke. They had the, the four-cylinder, two-stroke, 750 came in. That was, you know, a, a, a death trap that... Immediately banned. Yeah, it was so wicked, right? That that's, Ken, that's the bike that Kenny Roberts That Kenny yeah. Roberts won the Indy Mile with. It was a storied thing. So you have that. Then the Honda came in and played in a really interesting way. If anybody knows what a CX 500 is, 
it's a uh, it's like a Moto Guzzi style V twin, right? So the it's a it's transverse. The 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 pistons stick out like at your knees uh, instead of long ways. And the CX they they took one of those, built it I believe up to 750, and they put it in a flat track frame long ways. The strangest thing. Have you ever heard of this? Do you know no, this? No, no, no. I forget what they called it. I have pictures of it somewhere. I'll, maybe I can figure out a way to post it to the Facebook page. It was a. There was a couple of them out there. And they're they're very unique, very weird. Carbs stick out like strangely at your knees or like right at your thigh, and the pipes are you know bizarro. So this was this was Honda's start to get into flat tracking in the early mid eighties. And then eventually they had a bespoke, um, V twin that was water cooled, but, um, very similar to the XR 750, right? Really similar as far as it, it, they, they were having to emulate it to get the power pulses down in the same way that the Harley did. And then they started cleaning up. I can't remember how many championships they got, but they, it was a big deal. And then eventually Honda just kind of Went away. They said, all right, we've done this. We don't need this any longer. Whatever was happening in the 80s, um, they just decided, nah, all right, we don't need to do this for, for our uh, advertising dollars, and we're just going to go to Superbikes or whatever it was, right? be interesting to sit down with some of the players from that era and, and find out what was it, what happened, what was going on in racing in general that caused them to, to get out of it. Then for the longest time, it was Harley, 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 Harley. And over the past few years, probably past decade, you're seeing a couple of other manufacturers um, get involved even kind of partially. Kawasaki being a major one with their uh, the, the 650-based um, uh, parallel twin. BMW, uh, the, that whatever parallel twin, maybe it's the 800 or 650-based, whatever that is. Um, Yamaha just recently I saw some some FZ7 based yeah. engine there there's a few of them that are out there that are doing it uh which would be cool the more the more the merrier if if again somebody like Michael Locke can get in and say all right manufacturers we got a place for you to play to show off your stuff it might not exactly correlate to machine sales because nobody's buying naked no. um, flat track bikes no, but it's yeah. just it's kind of like um it's mind share we like the we're the best we're the fastest we're the awesomest and that bike's yellow with black speed blocks so it's yamaha and it's gonna win and that's why mm -hmm. yamaha is awesome i don't buy into the whole race on sunday sell on monday thing so i don't i kind of just take that out of the equation of like oh our bike won so it's the best so people buy it but i do think it makes sense from like a marketing point of view you know, just in the sense of brand awareness and, yep. and we're out here and we're doing this and look at the cool stuff we're doing and using that racing effort in your marketing strategy like hey here's brad baker winner of the indy mile da, 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 da. yeah selling the bike for you not to mention the physicality watching these guys guys and girls because there's a couple of really haul ass yep. nicole chezza which i think is now Meese, jared Meese's wife and oh my gosh i'm so embarrassed that i'm forgetting Shayna Texter. So those are, and they're all assers. It's amazing. It's fun to watch. That's cool that there's not just boys. And then watching in, in the pits, especially if you can be on the inside of the oval and see them come around and the physicality of oh, it yeah. is so impressive. And you're right there. Basically no breaks. Yeah. Sure. And that's a beautiful thing to see that. And it's a mind bender for most people that it's so far from what most normal people can do on motorcycles that they're, they're, it's gobsmacking. You're like, I don't, I, for years, I would, I just didn't understand how that could even possibly be physically, uh, you know, I've been riding motorcycles for a long time. Couldn't even fathom tapping a rear brake to get a bike sideways and then going into a corner and then powering out of it. Side, I not even now that I've spent a lot more time on dirt bikes over the past 10 years, yeah, I get it. But before, holy crap, even to this day, if I do that, it is the coolest feeling, like like uh, as good as a wheelie to get a bike sideways, slideways, right? I love it. So for me, uh, it's it's an easy sell to to get there and go check it out, or to want to do it. I kind of I want to race it. I don't understand why we don't go down to Salem and do the the flat well, track more often because it's just another bike to have. It's another. 
even this is why you should get a supermoto because then you can go do right. supermoto with right. me and then we just put some some tires on it no some you're right you're right the rains thing and there was a couple of guys that were doing that uh local friends that were doing that last year they had plenty of fun but for me i really want to get a real oh yeah right 19 inch but that, that's flat track bike but this is this is the drug dealer at the side i was like we'll just go we'll do some yeah. rain yeah, it'll yeah. be fun we'll just do it once and then oh we'll do it again and then next season it's like okay i'm building my bike what are you doing yeah sure yeah then we're both into it like 20 grand later no worries <laughs> yeah well that's we got, why we got like no teeth we've sold our houses we're just living in a winnebago <laughs> with like forged flat track bikes no and it's awesome because it it's not that expensive it you know that's a, again another few thousand dollar bike to buy but doing it week in and week out it's not horrible you're still going to burn up some tires and but not a lot of race gas the danger elements there. Oh like sure. The the walls. This is something that's that's a a, a problem uh, that there everybody has to deal with. Is that it is a, a fairly dangerous thing. You're basically, but, just going to hit a hay bale. Yeah. And then you're going to hit a wall. Right. So that might be something else that that Michael's going to be working on is making sure. Well, frankly, they have plenty of uh, air fence, and that's worked. But air fans, I think, and then I think it takes a technical partner like a Dainese or an Alpine Stars to come in with airbag suits and be like, okay, yeah. guys, let's get a little bit more serious about this. It's kind sure. of like the same with the TT where it's like, let's just get a little bit more serious about this. There's 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 solutions to your problems already in existence. Now it's just a matter of putting them in place. Well, I hope us talking about it will get people to go attend some of these races because it's it's amazing. And that, that new found enthusiasm from Harley might help with that absolutely hey michael if you're listening you should buy some advertising I'm just saying <laughs> just saying yeah it'd be good Jensen's on asphalt gotta, and rubber denson's got to pay for some for some flat track bikes so yeah right we need to come on now good good call <laughs> all right all right all right <laughs> um no yeah I, didn't, I think it's definitely it's definitely a cool thing and i like that that like little dirt bike camps are spot are popping up uh i know my friend shalina moreta is running a girls camp girls only for flat track and she's got girls from all ages, like from three years old to, you know, sixty-three year old showing up. So I did. It's cool uh, to see that that that's that's jamming. Dirtquake, Dirtquake USA was up in Castle Rock. We did that last year. Yep. Uh, another another good school. So did you already did um, Colin Edwards boot camp? I have said. not done Colin Edwards. No, boot no. Camp. But you did you mention that a minute ago, a second ago? No, I did not. Okay, so but Texas, that's another one. Texas yeah. Tornado boot camp. It's a big one, and it's not all flat track but it's mostly flat track it's like right? flat track shooting guns and the colin edwards show yeah and it's awesome yeah, that'd be cool i'd be um, that'd be good that'd be that's money well spent sure and that's in central texas uh rich oliver mystery school mystery school which for is sure. one that i did in 2003 back before it was even yamaha sponsored we were riding around on his xr 100s which were all bikes that had come from the kenny roberts ranch in Modesto or wherever. Oh, I've been there. Right? That's an experience. So <laughs> that's an uh, that's an interesting thing. As I was I was early. I got to go to that early days, and it taught me so much at that yeah. time. And I'd love to see people, uh, more people, get into it for sure, because it just improves your riding on street, no matter which way, whether you're just a commuter or a road racer. Absolutely, it's a lot of fun. I've done a little flat tracking, um, and had a blast every time I did it. So, Quentin, I want to change gears from American flat track racing to an American motorcycle issue that is near and dear to both of our hearts, and yes. that is lane splitting. Filtering. Filtering, lane sharing. It goes by a variety of names. Um, Something that's legal in the state of California or permissible. De decriminalized? No, it's not decriminalized. So, this is this is this is kind of the the thing that always kind of drives me slightly crazy when when i hear people talk about lane splitting because they'll be like well lane splitting is not legal in california it's like no it is legal but it's legal because it's not illegal and there is a little bit of a definition there and it sounds like it's splitting hairs but basically it comes down to the way the california vehicle code is written whereas like in most states there's specific provision that says only one vehicle can uh, occupy a lane a space in a lane at a time, or they'll have some other provision that basically would would outlaw lane splitting. In California, there is no such thing, and the way the vehicle code is written is because if there is no provision outlawing something, it is therefore permissible, hence lane splitting. And then the practice of lane splitting goes back 60-some-odd years in, in California, so there's a, there's a ton of precedent for it. 
and um, in terms of of it being allowed by the authorities, but it's not codified, and that's one of the things that's that's kind of makes it difficult because with it not being codified, define it, codify. Codify means defined in the California Vehicle Code. Very simple. Okay. Uh, because it's not codified, it falls under this kind of gray area. Well, not gray area, but kind of this nebulous area of uh, California's catch-all provision, which is safe and prudent manner. You have to operate your vehicle in a safe and prudent manner at all times. That's what lane splitting falls under. You're allowed to, there's nothing that says you can't be in the same, a motorcycle can't be in the same lane as a car. In fact, there's nothing that says two cars can't be in the same lane as each other. It's just physically impossible. But you have to be operating your vehicle in a safe and prudent manner. And what does that mean? Nobody really knows. And the CHP tried to come out with guidelines on what it thought safe and prudent manner for lane was that, splitting. That was last year or the year before? Yeah. And and that caused a bit of an uproar, right? And rightfully so, because it was kind of the CHP dictating law. They were just like, hey, this is how we're going to start enforcing it. And people were like, well, that's really not your job to come up with that. That's a legislative branch issue. You're an executive branch. Let's have some balance of powers here. So I agree with the pushback, but I also agree with the sentiment of we need to come up with something formal because when you formalize it, then you can say what is right, what is wrong. Um, not leave it up to not leave it up the to whim chance. of a police officer exactly. or and whoever. It, it puts it puts I think motorcyclists at a really unfair advantage because I think at the end of the day we get blamed for a lot of accidents that aren't necessarily our fault because there is this nebulous definition of what lane splitting is and how it's enforced and then that leads to the police applying that in uh in uh an interesting way and then the insurance companies of course are going to apply it you know whatever way favors them best sure so there's a lot of advantages i think to having a well-codified lane splitting law and then it cracks down on like these asshats that you see are doing like 100 miles an hour between traffic that's completely stopped and they're just asking for it asking for it for sure and that does nothing beneficial to motorcyclists as a whole it does nothing beneficial as far as like what our image is and how we're perceived by people and even when i talk to non-motorcyclists about lane splitting that's the example they bring up oh, like that they, one time and that guy was going 100 and it's and like they well hate it. Yeah. he's just breaking the law and that's just as in, that's the other thing like he's just speeding it's not because he's in a motorcycle it's just because yeah. he's just an ass at so if there was a rule you feel that once this is whatever this this particular so tell so 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 that's the story right so the california was so i'll back it up a little bit uc berkeley um, in conjunction with Safe Trek, did a study that looked at lane splitting and crash data and basically came up with like, hey, if you practice safe lane splitting, this is no more dangerous than it is if you were just riding a motorcycle. If you are not going more than 15 miles an hour than the traffic around you, if you're not going more than, I think it was 60 or 65 miles an hour uh, in total velocity, the, the numbers pretty much wash out. This is just as safe as riding a motorcycle. You it's just you, happen to get wherever you want to go a lot faster. A lot faster. And by the way, you're also probably helping the overall traffic congestion. Yep. But those are other issues. So so they came up with a study. Um, I think it was Bill Quirk, Assemblymember Quirk from the Hayward, Fremont area uh, of the California Assembly. Ended up coming up with, I believe it was AB 51, Assembly Bill 51, which basically was pretty close in language to what the research was showing. It was, they wanted to make lane splitting permissible as long as there was a speed delta of 15 miles an hour or less with the flow of traffic and the bike never went more than 50 miles an hour in total velocity. So if traffic's doing 35, you can lane split up to 50 miles an hour. If traffic's doing 40, you can lane split up to 50 miles an hour. If traffic's doing 25, you can lane split up to 40 miles an hour, if that makes sense to you. That bill ended up not getting past the state Senate, mostly because it looked like it just wasn't going to pass, and they didn't really want to to have an anti... They didn't want to like neuter that bill into something that would pass. But now they've... This assembly member Quirk has worked on the bill some more and they're getting ready to submit it again this year. And I don't know what the, the, the number will be for it, but the new language is, is kind of interesting because it, it really just doesn't define lane splitting at all. It basically just says lane splitting is permissible. The CHP and other bodies should craft uh, guidelines and, and then educational elements for it. So we can start teaching it at new rider schools and, and, make it a part of uh, um, the testing for your DMV test as far as like the written exam and things like that, make this more aware. And it's, I think it's good and it's bad because 
it's bad because I don't think it does us any favors in terms of it doesn't define lane splitting. So we're still stuck with this kind of nebulous definition of what is permissible, what's not. I think it's good in the sense that it will formally codify lane splitting in California, which will at least give us some precedent to start codifying it in other states. Um, and obviously having uh, the parties involved capable of, of doing education and training materials on lane splitting and, and giving them some some gra- some foundation to do that. Yeah. So then the CHP can come out with its own guidelines uh, is beneficial. But it's still kind of a mixed bag, and I still kind of have mixed feelings on it. But uh, I think I've said it before, like lane splitting should be issue number one for, for the AMA, for the MIC, for, for anyone involved in, in motorcycling because that's going to be a great way to get more people into motorcycles. And what do you what do you say to the motorcyclists that don't like it? I hear this, and this there is, is there is definitely motorcycles surprises that don't like it. the crap out of me. Anybody, but it doesn't. After you spend time, especially say up here in Portland, where it it would be pretty tragic <laughs> to immediately just dump everybody on into no, lanes. I just I disagree with that. I disagree with that idea, and this is the same reason why I disagree with the people that, that are motorcyclists who don't want it. If you don't feel comfortable lane splitting and you don't want to go lane splitting, don't do it. There's no there's no thing in this that says like, okay, traffic has stopped, you now must lane split. But give the other riders who are comfortable with it, who do want to use that as a tool to get around more effectively, and, it's, and, and we have the research to show that it's just as safe, give them the ability to do it. You don't have to do it yourself, but give the others that do want to do it that ability because it takes nothing away from you by, by having it. It's adding to your abilities on a motorcycle, it's adding to your rights on a motorcycle, it's adding to your freedom, if that's the argument that needs to be made to, to touch that nerve. And it's the same thing with the cars. Like, it's just kind of comes down to, I think, I think there, the perception is that it's not safe. And I think the perception of it being not safe is because of these asshats that are doing 100 miles an hour between parked cars. Yeah. The research shows us when done within reasonable limits, lane splitting is no more dangerous than just riding a motorcycle. And- uh, in Full fact, stop. I would argue, and I did this today with a, a couple of police officers, that it's safer. And the people are gobsmacked by that. It's like, how could it be? Well, here, so my experience with lane splitting is moved to California in two, uh, 1997-ish and stayed there until 2007. I probably put 10,000 miles a year on motorcycle the whole time. I would assume that I have... As you would in California because it makes so much damn sense right. to do. And, and because for the for a long time, that's all I had. Um, I had a car, but I would use my CBR 600, so I put 50-something thousand miles on a CBR 600 and 30, 40-something on my Ducati ST2 and then all kinds of other smaller bikes, different different stuff. Anyway, so lots of lane splitting. Um, whether that be commuting from Pasadena to Azusa, Pasadena to West LA, Pasadena to just Glendale, would it be commuting from Chatsworth, which is northern uh, part of LA County, to any one of the uh, uh, aforementioned places? That's what I was doing the entire time. City streets in the valley from Van Nuys for years, going back and forth to Graves from Chatsworth. Um, it, I, I have a lot of lane splitting miles and I was straight up, I was excellent at it. I was so good at it and I had stayed alive because I took it really seriously. Now I was one of those idiots a few times going 75 or 80. Well, it's funny to think about 75 or 80 down there really wasn't that fast, wasn't that fast, but I'd be doing 75 or 80, not parked cars, but through traffic that's doing 65, right? So yeah, 20 miles an hour over, it's extreme. And you're, you end up being a shitbag because you're the one that's causing people. They're just going along in their car and they're in the HOV lane, which most people, what what do other places call HOV lanes? Everybody makes fun of me when the I diamond say, lane. Yeah, diamond lane in California. There's the diamond lane HOV, which high occupancy vehicle uh, lane. Should, I've always seen it like like eco, East Coast. It's HOV. Is it? I always felt like diamond lane was more like a California. Yeah, thing. and it might be, but I remember one time saying it one way or the other, and people got freaked out. Well, anyway, so imagine that they're just cruising along, and all of a sudden you right? Yeah, no, it's startling, and it startles a lot of people. But you know, I say. In the words of Chopper Reed, harden the fuck up, right? There is an element like uh, I've heard that before. That same thing. It's like, well, you should probably pay, be paying more attention 
while operating a motor vehicle. And the, the, the downside is, is that we really don't pay that close attention when we're in a car. We're on our phones. We're listening to the radio. We're talking to people. We're just spacing out. Like, Yeah. How you, many times did you have a situation where you pulled over in a lane with a motorcyclist? How often? It's happened. Oh, I do it. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll raise my hand on that for sure. Sure. Same here. But how, well, it's because, not that because, often. But I think because even I think all motors become lackadaisical when they're behind the wheel just because like we've taken it for granted it's such a commonplace thing in our lives that we take it for granted we don't stop to think about like i am driving a five thousand pound entity that will crush someone if i'm not careful i think we forget that yeah, about driving right. a lot and then as motorcyclists we become keenly aware of the fact that like hey that's a five thousand pound car that could totally crush me if i fall off this bike and i need sure. to be careful and that's where we get our little road rage of like that cager cut me off like that cager just didn't see you because you moved from the left hand part of your lane to the right hand part of the lane in under a second and there's just no car driver that's that attentive they should be that attentive but they're not and i'm gonna say it right now i'm not that attentive i check my mirrors for motorcycles all the time but every now and then i'll get caught out because I didn't yep. see that bike because he changed four lanes in under yep. a second. And no, for sure. By the time he's even had one flash of his turn signal, he's already on the other side of the freeway. Yeah. Because uh, that's just how highly maneuverable motorcycles are. So well, there's, and there's, and that, that goes towards my, uh, what a, my, my point about how it's safer. So when, I'm, when I was lane splitting, the, the key is staying out of blind spots, right? Yeah. There's, and, there's, I would say, I, I'm just sorry to interrupt you, but I would say there's, there's a lot of tricks to the trade that comes with doing miles of sure absolutely of, and this is of one lane of them. splitting and because of those the subtleties it's not just just going straight in between lanes and a lot of people think that so that's that's one thing that i will say had saved my bacon so many times was staying out of blind spots and that constant movement made so much sense right beyond that like to go back to what you were saying about if we if we'd made lane splitting legal today in oregon and having to be chaos. And I disagree with that because I think at the end of the day, because I remember the same way I was when I was in California, like I didn't go lane splitting right away. You know, I didn't just jump right into it and do like a hundred miles an hour in between cars. Like the first time I lane split was probably just filtering up to a traffic light where I was like, Oh, all right, I'll give it a whirl. And I kind of walked the bike kind of up there and did it very timidly <laughs> and was like, all right, this is, this is how we do this. And, and I got to get behind this guy's mirror and then this guy's mirror. Then over time, you get a little bit more intrepid with your actions and you start getting more comfortable with it and you start learning these these tricks of the trade like you were mentioning. And and it becomes a, a very valuable tool in your commuting tool chest because it is a great way of being like, that's the reason I bought a motorcycle when I moved back to California. I was like, that's the only way I'm going to get across this Bay Bridge in a timely manner is lane splitting because otherwise it's going to take like an hour of my day. Yeah, sure. You know, because the traffic in San Francisco is horrendous. But I don't think it's going to be this Armageddon thing. And like the idea of like, well, you know, drivers outside of California aren't used to lane splitting and they're going to have to educate them. Like, you know what? Drivers inside California don't really know about lane splitting. <laughs> yeah, you good. know, you'll still find drivers that think that you're like breaking the law or cheating them or getting cutting to the front and blah, blah, blah. Like all these kind of oh, BS excuses. Get so righteously indignant about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. It's fucking awful. Well, and the, and the, the, if, even if they just said, you're allowed to lane split up to stoplights, even if that was that would be huge for me. That would be huge. I actually would be okay with that. And and if, if you started that, especially in Portland, especially ex especially <laughs> in Portland, where the chances of you, if there's more than three cars at a traffic light, the chances of you getting through that that light is probably zero. Yeah, because Portland drivers, it's like oh, the light turned green. 1001, <gasps> 1002, 1003, accelerate. I guess I better then, put my book down on free trade and uh, Greenpeace and then uh, get my Subaru into gear, even though it's yeah. an automatic. <laughs> I had it in park because I want to be safe. Adjust my mirror and oh, the yellow light's yellow, hit the gas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very strange here and nobody gets it until you see it yeah. it, it is harp a port on it and i feel like people don't get it until they come here you no know, and the portlandia episode is not a joke people think that that's taking the piss it's like no that's legit that's yeah. that's legit that's how bad it is so again if you could do that holy shit that would make my i have a 40 minute commute right now if i make all the right moves and take the specific streets and whatnot if jumping I, curbs and no no that was that's I, I, yeah no <laughs> nothing that you'll admit to on the podcast no no uh if i could just take the two major freeways let's let's call it that's yeah. the bulk no, I, I of the you. way oh my gosh on a bike it would be what? it would literally be 20 minutes it would be literally half it, literally exactly half the time and i'll just go the other way with it because i think 
there's there's kind of this rumor that lane splitting in California is legal because of the air cooled bikes sitting in traffic would overheat. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, speaking speaking of jumping curbs while on a motorcycle, like I was on my my supermoto the other day, which runs hot pretty quick. And if you sit in more than like five minutes of traffic, that bike's just it's just pinging out. Like hmm. it's just bad news bears. Like so, the ability to split lanes and to keep air moving across the motor, air moving across the radiator, yeah, and keeping sure. motion going, like for all motorcyclists would be beneficial. So there's a thing there. Uh, unfortunately in Oregon, there's, there's definitely the, the, the police advocacy groups and the state legislature and the government, the governor's office are definitely anti lane splitting. And that's where I think there is some value to what's going on in California, even cause I don't really think this new law is very good. I think it's a shitty law. I think that they're trying to pass. Um, but the value that is there, I'm not going to say it's completely shitty. The value is that it would codify lane splitting. So at least, when we go to Oregon, uh, Oregon State Legislature in a year or two and say, hey, we want to try passing lane splitting again, we can at least be say, like, California has this on the books as legal. It's not a weird, nebulous, it's not no, illegal thing. thing. Yeah. It is legal. It is working. We have the research. It's just as safe. They codified lane splitting. And guess what? No fatality, you know, percentage increases. It, nothing, you know, nothing changed. So sign us up, Skippy. And, you know, they'll shoot it down again, but we can start that process yeah. because the, the way to get it done is state by state. And we'll have to pick like, you know, maybe we get it done in California and maybe we pass this shitty law now and in a couple of years we pass a better law that actually makes sense and is based on the research. And maybe that's a springboard to get something passed in New York and then that gets something passed in Texas. Yeah. And then we start you get the, piecing get the it together. Ones first. Yeah. Just it's straight up. Like, it's probably you that mentioned it. It's like gay marriage. It's exactly like You've gay marriage. You flip them one away at a time. And chip yep. away and chip away. And sh- before Which you know it. Which was exactly how the civil rights movement started. Yeah. I mean, that's how you sure. make that's how you make larger changes by making smaller effective changes. You know, so it, it won't be an overnight thing. It would help if the AMA threw more weight behind it. It would help if the MIC threw more weight behind it. It would help if we could get like even even when I post a story on ANR, you'll see the bait in the comments from from motorcyclists about this issue. And it's like, you know, if we could get, the problem we don't the reason we don't get it is because even as motorcyclists is is we're divided on the subject. You get these naysayers that like just you know, maybe they ride cruisers. I don't know what they're doing, but they, you know, they look at like the sport bike guys, like, oh, the sport bike guys are running for us. And they go 100 miles an hour. And I don't want those skippies. And I don't want cagers. Like all the reasons we just mentioned before in this, in this podcast, you know, and like and that's a detriment to them. Like, oh, I don't want it because of those reasons. So it's like, well, no one's making you do it. But if you're not on board, that means that someone like me or someone like you, yeah, Gwen isn't going to be able to do it. And we actually know how. So we should be able to. It's tough. It's a tough thing. It gets my blood boiling sometimes. No. For sure. I I remember going to the, there was a thing here in Oregon. It must've been five years ago, at least. Uh, we all met at some church over in Northeast. Cause there oh, was, yeah. I remember you talking about that. There yeah. was a thing like they were, they were trying to get it. Well, I, I'm sorry if I don't know the exact how, where it was going to be in whatever legal term, but they were just trying to get it. Well, Oregon had, to, yeah, Oregon was trying to pass two separate bills and one was coming out of the Senate, one was coming out of the house and they both sucked. They were both pretty shitty bills where it was like, you could lane split, but not on a highway and it had to be under 35 miles an hour. Yeah. And you're like, it was basically like what you were saying. Like, yeah. you're basically going to get up to your traffic light. Yeah. Which would be okay. Which but at something, the same time, but, we, we didn't want that compromised right off the bat. Right. No, that's the hard part. And it, it's which way do you want? Do you hold out? Do you, do you hold fast and get the bill that should be passed that's based on the research that makes sense that actually gives you something st- substantive that you can do on a motorcycle or do you do the chip away method where like okay we'll take the 35 mil- you know mile an hour one this year but next year we'll try for 40 and the year after that we'll try for 45 i don't know i don't have any answer for you on that i'm not a i'm not a politician but oregon's going to be a tough state to pass it uh, just from a perspective of this is a very backward state when it comes to vehicle transportation yeah. It's very conservative on on its on its vehicle code. It's very we just passed Quentin. We just passed sixty five mile an hour highway speed <laughs> in rural eastern I Oregon. I know. You know? And and even then that was like the people there people were talking just like you were talking a second ago, like we're gonna raise these speed limits and it's gonna be Armageddon. Death on the highway. There's gonna be blood so many more deaths. on the highway. The blood's gonna be on your hands, yeah, right. not mine. All right, well mo- just just to make sure you're clear why why I, I wanted to make sure we are clear why I think it'll be a clusterfuck. 
mainly it's they're so the the streets here are very tight. They are. I would and that, that above all is what I'm worried about. But the but highways the, and all these gigantic slabs and SoCal and even NorCal, it's so much easier but to do. But couldn't I come back to I come back to like you know, you know, as a motorcyclist, that's land split. Like, there will be times where you look at the road and be like, "I can't, I can't fit through this yeah, car." So you don't. So you don't. Sure. It's not like like, oh, I have the right to land split. I'm gonna go through, and you start no, clipping sure. mirrors and you ding a door or two. It's like, no, like my bike's not gonna fit through there. I guess I'm just not fitting through there. I'm gonna have to wait this light out. But the next light, yeah. where it opens up a little bit, I'm gonna scoot sure. my little buddy through. Sure. Um. So I don't really, I really don't think it's gonna be that big of an issue. I think people make it into a big issue just because they want to make it into a big issue and they want to argue on the internet. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, when they do that, just for the sport of it, it uh, it affects us because the politicians look and they say, "Oh, you see, you see, these people don't even want it," which yeah. is which was an issue when the or when the Oregonian thing was going on. They're like, "Oh, well, look at these videos of people lane splitting on YouTube." And uh, I think it was the was it the sheriff, the guy from the sheriff's committee, or the Oregon troopers, state troopers. I can't remember. There's one of their representatives, and he was showing like YouTube videos of guys in California doing like Mach nine. The, the types of people that would the videotape themselves on the highway yeah. happen to be the types of people that like, would speed like, and be This is shitty. what's going to happen, and like I forget who it was that pointed out. I think it was one of the the representatives on the legislators. Like, well, to be clear though, that would be illegal under even California's law, wouldn't it? He was like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, so they're just breaking the law. Breaking the law is breaking the law is breaking the yeah. law. Yeah, sure. We're talking about safe, effective no. lane splitting. And logic, I can't imagine ha- having much effect on these types of people. It's tough. It's tough. Even in California, it's tough. That's the thing that drives me slightly insane is we're very, I would say, as an as an industry and as a group of people, we are very disorganized on this issue. And I wish there could be some more organization. I wish we could have some more education. I wish, I wish we could at least get a consensus among motorcyclists that this is a good idea that we should be pushing. Uh, and then grow from there to other motorists. But all right, Quentin, I think we could go on and on and on about this topic. There's definitely a lot to it. Maybe we should tackle it in another show sometime. But I think for today, we should probably wrap it up because we're getting towards that time of the uh, time of the show. Yeah, a little punchy, a little, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Well, truth be told, we already, we already went through one set of batteries and I don't want to go through two. Yeah. <laughs> truth be told... Kick stands up. Truth be told, I hate you and your <laughs> stupid kickstands theory of life. Kickstands down. <laughs> All right. Later. Good talk. See you out there. Extreme. They always have a tendency. They have, or at least in the past probably 10 years, to be on point with social commentary. Well... It's about as on point as it gets. It's depressing. Is it on fleek? Mm, no. I don't know if I could call that on fleek. I think on fleek has to almost have an aesthetic to it, right? I don't know. Mm. Right? I don't understand the words kids use these days. With the sheep. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is a sheep fucking joke. <laughs> oh, good. Where else can you lane split in the Everywhere world? Everywhere fucking else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's very I frustrating. Mean, I mean, you should say, like, like Australia's got some...